Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 12 of Talk Exchange. Today, we have with us Peggy McGuire, who joins uh, Tracy and Christy. And Peggy operates Strong Families out of the mid-metro Chicagoland area, which is a center within the Network of Exchange Club Centers for the Prevention of Child Abuse. So Peggy brings a really great, unique perspective to this topic, just given her experience and her expertise in this area throughout her career. She talks about a lot of things in this episode, but I think most importantly, she talks about warning signs and things that we can all do if we happen to observe any potential signs of child abuse. So we hope you get a lot out of this episode. I think it's very important. Uh, Again, episode 12, Talk Exchange. Hi, I'm Tracy Edwards, CEO of the National Exchange Club. Thanks for joining this episode today. We're excited about our guest today. Hi, Christy. I'm joined by our communications director, Christy Lindaw. Hi, Tracy. Good to be here with everyone. Thank you for making the time to sit with us today. Absolutely. We're joined today by Peggy McGuire of Strong Families. Peggy and her center, uh, they service the mid-metro Chicagoland area. So that's a a wide area, I'm sure, with a lot of need, as there is all over the country. Peggy, thanks to you for being a part of the National Exchange Club Network of Centers. I am so happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. So today, Peggy's going to talk about uh, the center that she operates, the services that they offer to families, and how they're part of the National Exchange Club's network of exchange club centers for the prevention of child abuse. So first, Peggy, tell us a little bit about how you started in this field and uh, maybe what you love about it at the end of the day. Sure. Well, this is like my favorite topic. Not not my mm-hmm. not how I started in the field, but just talking about the work we do. So, um, I came to the work with Exchange. Actually, I'd worked for uh, school district systems for regional office of education managing at risk home visitation programming for school districts around the Chicagoland area, and I did that for. 13 years. And then prior to that, I was a director for a national adoption agency. So I felt like I had always had a hand in structuring families, helping them get stronger, um, helping them find resources. And I actually happened to be at a meeting, um, a large meeting, and somebody sitting next to me was part of the exchange club. And they had said, oh, we do home visits for families with children birth to 12 at the time. And everything in Illinois ended with home visitation programming, birth to five. And as a veteran in the field, it was unnerving to me when you would not be able to serve families that had a six-year-old or a 12-year-old or an eight-year-old. And it, it heightened my interest in joining. And it turned into me leaving my position and becoming the executive director for our child abuse prevention center through the exchange club based out of Naperville, Illinois. Well, that's a great start and a great story because you were obviously a believer in the home visitation program and model because you had seen results from that. And so now uh, your center services families through the exchange parent aid and other forms of assistance. What do you like about that type of home visitation program, such as the exchange parent aid and what results have you seen for strengthening families? 
Sure. So we, I will never take a job that doesn't incorporate home visitation. It is where it gets done. All the research shows us that if we really want to move the dial, you need to sit with families in the environment that they're in and work on the protective factors that we know embolden families to be stronger and more resilient. So there would never be an option that I would take in a job that wasn't research-based like our model with the Exchange Club and does home visitation. So we serve families one-on-one with home visitation once a week using the research-based model of the Exchange Club. And then we also, because we have on average about 100, I think we have 101 families right now on our wait list just to get the, the home visitation services. You said so we've created a very list, Peggy? 101. It is, it is wildly needed. <laughs> we have about eight school districts that are lined up as well. And right now it is really staffing that has become a challenge for us. And of course, the proverbial funding is always an issue for us. But we've been able to incorporate workshops you know, very widely across the board in our Chicago metro, metro area because of the overflow. It's not in place of the home visitation. It is literally to meet the needs, especially uh, during the pandemic and the aftermath. We have been able to um, literally, I think last I checked, we were doing, a, we have to do a presentation coming up and we were served over a thousand families with the workshops on discipline, on regulation, on all kinds of things from technology usage, all things that are stressing parents out. Mm-hmm. Um, we do those workshops in partnership with school districts, homeless shelters, domestic violence shelters, um, really across the board. Um, and then obviously our one-on-one home visitation. We serve anywhere from 50 to 80 families, parents, I should say, a year with that program. Again, it always kind of depends on how many social workers we have staffed at the time. Um, one opportunity that I'm not, I do not want to miss discussing that is unique to exchange is our ability to leverage volunteers. Mm-hmm. And we have some of the most excellent volunteer parent mentors. I liken it in my brain when I'm talking about it to like a big brother, big sister, but for parents, you know, that program. They come in, they do the exact same programming that our paid staff does, our social worker staff does. They're supported by um, a licensed social worker and our volunteers also serve families. So we were able to leverage really genius individuals within our community to support parents when Funding is low. Staffing is an issue. It's been an incredible blessing for me to see how that can work in a nonprofit. I had no experience with that before joining Exchange. And our Exchange Club in Naperville has been instrumental. Like they have done everything from helping us with vaccine rollout, giving out COVID kits. They even made bikes for all of our um, families and delivered them themselves. Um, We have um, exchange members that are mentors as well. Many of them have won the Mentor of the Year Award through National. I mean, the list really goes on on the level of support we get from Exchange Club to help execute a child abuse prevention program in a large metropolitan area. Wow, that was everything there in a nutshell, Peggy. Thank you. So could you explain to us a little bit more about your dynamic with the club, how those um, volunteers become mentors, what they're able to do in Um, a volunteer capacity as opposed to a social worker? So we have the good fortune of having access to a lot of 
retired teachers, um, Mm -hmm. retired uh, social servants that serve as our volunteer mentors often. Um, But we also have like one of our volunteers through exchange is just a mom. Um, Her child had had a disability. She works for the city, but she's gone through our extensive training and she's been incredibly valuable. We had a text regarding this specific exchange club volunteer from a mom that she's serving. And the mom's text was beautiful. We were just talking about it. We read it like three times. She gave her all these birthday, you know, surprises and balloons and cakes. And, and this was a a socially uh, economic family that was not doing very well. And just, just the joy in her heart that people care about her beyond somebody who's paid to do the job. So to me, leveraging volunteers, whatever their skill set may be, we can support them with training, but we also do have many volunteers that have a background in some sort of educational or social service field because managing volunteers is not easy. It takes a lot of support and it's Mm -hmm. parent education. So my main charge is always, this is a non-judgment zone. We have to make sure the messenger is coming at it with love and not judgment and really just the supportive listener that brings back the needs to the professionals. And then we lay down whatever it is that the family is looking to achieve um, alongside the uh, volunteer. So there's that. But the Exchange Club has helped us leverage resources. So we, during COVID, for instance, we had an opportunity to write for additional funds for, you know, hygiene supplies, for vaccine rollout, for census. And so we needed bodies to help us do those things, to get those in the hands of families. So we ran events and and, and the volunteers came out and it was fun. We had food drives and, and all of those things that were necessary during COVID. Post-COVID, we had a lot of families, school districts reach out to us that they couldn't find certain children. They just didn't come back to school. And so they had put together lists of families like for outreach. We call them SEL calls, social and emotional reach out calls. So we did have some volunteers help us with that. We would provide them with a script to say, you know, what, what's keeping you from getting to school? Is it transportation? Is it technology? Is it childcare? Um, is it all of these things? And then we would take those needs back to the district and the community and try to triage to get families uh, back enrolled in school. And one district, we were able to, they had over a hundred kids that were missing and we were able to locate like Gosh. 80 80. And, and within that one school district, there were like four founded DCFS cases that, you know, we, there was something really tragic happening in the home that we were able to come in and kind of triage with systems that are in place like school districts and help them out. Um, mm-hmm. in, one, in the main community that we're in, Naperville, there's 150,000 people in that town and there's only two police social workers so really triaging with volunteers, helping those social services and those school districts meet the needs has been a niche for us. And that's where we leverage volunteers as well. So we've, we've talked before on recent episodes about um, how we've heard about the increase in mental health uh, needs through the school district since COVID. And you mentioned just a minute ago about, uh, you know, the little girl just needing to know that somebody cared for her, which Mm -hmm. is huge. I think that's what we're seeing, right? A lot of kids coming out of COVID feeling insecure, um, not sure 
how to how to go about normal life because maybe they don't remember what normal life was. Um, right. Do you think is it possible that um, this is a program that could be expanded nationwide? Uh, the the exchange club members becoming mentors with families. Hundred percent, I do. One hundred percent, I I do because the systems are strained. And there aren't enough social workers and mental health providers to go around. So it is a solution to have a licensed clinical social worker oversee volunteers that can also execute and reach out and create some of those connections for those families and and provide the information that we can provide. It has completely amped up our world. We now have um, counselors on staff. We hired bilingual counselors. Um, to support and written grants and all of that in order to support those mental health needs. When you hear, you know, the number two cause of death in middle schoolers is suicide. This is, this, this should alarm us all. Right. So, and there's no one system, no school system, no parent only that can, that can hit everything that needs to be hit at this point. So I do think the answer is leveraging volunteers, but having some, designated staff to manage the volunteers so that we're sure the appropriate information is getting out there. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of that, uh, you know, in a very challenging environment that you're in, very emotionally taxing, at the end of the day, what makes you feel inspired and what gives you hope? Well, I, it's easy. I I feel like, um, I don't know how people who don't do this kind of work feel happy. Like, I feel like we see resilience all the time. And we see, we are, we are definitely handling a large population of refugee families that have come into the city of Chicago and the school districts have turned to us to help support these families. And the list just goes on. When you see people who can rise above, overcome, are so happy for any sort of support. And it's the exchange club parent aid model. We're not walking in there with freebies. We're not walking in there with dollars we're not mandated that they, they come to us. These are people who want to be better, that want the, the support and the education to become a stronger parent. So it really is inspiring every, every day. I think the, the opposite is true for people who do my work. I have a hard time listening to somebody complain about their cleaning lady or, yes. you know, their, their mealy watermelon. I know all problems are relevant, but it's like, yeah, you should be the happiest person ever. So I think it really, mm-hmm. it was a lot during the pandemic. I really don't think yes. most of us slept for like 18 months because it was a fever pitch of just child abuse and domestic violence mm-hmm. and alcohol and substance misuse. And so just really getting our hands around the individuals that were slipping so fast was a lot. But I think in the end, you know, we get the good fortune of working with some of the strongest people you'll ever know or meet. Or like when we talk about exchange club members, the people who just deeply care right. and don't need to be doing this, but they deeply care. You know, we don't really, we didn't really see that in the education system when I was just working in that or in just for profit. It wasn't this kind of energy. So I think it's a gift. Yes, it's it's can be isolating. I don't have a lot of great dinner right. conversations <laughs> at a Super Bowl party. I just have to say go Chiefs or whatever, but I don't can't really talk about my day-to-day at work uh, out in the community because it doesn't hit most people's ears the way it hits the rest of us. But it's been a blessing and, and for most of us that do this work, just realizing the resilience of certain people out there. 
I'm sure. And that makes me think of the value of getting the Exchange Club network together once a year at our annual symposium so that you can be with the same people who do the same job and you can then share those stories and be with people who truly understand because they're working in the same field every day. That's right. That's right. Opportunity for the dinner mm-hmm. conversations. Absolutely. Right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, right. You, and you see how much our network of exchange club members appreciate you and the work you do. I'm sure That's you hear true. that a lot on the convention floor from the people you run into. Yeah. You know, Peggy, April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month. What is special about that month and what does it mean to you in the field? I got my blue on today. Yes. Um, I think it's, it's just a good. great, it's a great time to highlight that this is a need and it's the word child abuse. It lands hard on people and it's another term that's kind of thrown around. So it gives you an opportunity to refocus on, even though it's such a negative term, what should we all be looking out for? You know, we all are in this together. It happens and it happens in many forms. Our department of children, family services systems are strained beyond. It's kind of all of our responsibility. I feel like, to pay attention. So much slipped through the cracks during the pandemic when kids weren't going to pediatricians, they weren't going to schools, they weren't with other professionals who are trained to notice child abuse. So I think it's just an opportunity to focus the community on looking out for each other. Look out for those kids and who's watching out over them and and the behaviors kids are exhibiting and what that means. Um, I think it's just an opportunity to put people more on high alert and to pay attention around you to the, to the kids in your community and the parents that might be at their wits end. Sorry. That's true. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the community, what is something, uh, and and it is a a hard topic for people to approach if they're not, for example, immersed in it, you know, five days a week at the minimum, what is it that the people in our community need to be looking out for? What are some um, not so obvious signs that a child or a family might need some help? And what would someone do in that situation then? If they don't necessarily know for sure that there's abuse, but they suspect that a family might need help. One thing that a DCFS worker told me uh, in Illinois, Department of Children and Family Services told me, and I've been involved with DCFS forever, 30 plus years, is it's not up to us to decide if there's abuse or not. If you suspect anything at all, You call that anonymous hotline and it is anonymous. I've done this a million times in my lifetime and let them decide if the the professionals decide, does this, is this look like abuse? It could be, Hey, I haven't seen that four-year-old come out of the house in a week. I hear this father screaming at the top of his lungs in the backyard at his kid, you know, knowing I'm in earshot. It can be something minor and it can be something major, but you should let the professionals decide because you don't know if that family's been called on five other times. And now we have a record. It might seem like nothing to you. And the idea, I even had a professional tell me, I mean, a, an executive director told me something really significant that she had heard happened at a, at a sleeping party, a sleepover party with a nine-year-old. And she was like, oh, I don't know what I should do. I'm like, what? You know, I, and that is somebody in it. Like you are they're never going to disclose who it is. That has never happened in all my career. And they do not rush in and take the children and decide later what they're going to do with them. There's no place for children to go, actually. I mean, foster care is very slim to none around our area anyway, but it is an opportunity 
to get a family some services, to create a paper trail if there is some abuse. It is really just to get over the fear of calling on somebody that you, when you see something odd, I mean, I have called when I've seen somebody screaming or hitting a child in a car, mark down their license plate and called. And you can call non-emergency police are your friend in your community. And they have social workers on task on, you know, and they might know of this family. So it really is just not to be afraid to reach out on behalf of the child. You hear far more stories of a kid something tragic happening to a kid or a child acting out in a tragic way, bringing a gun to school. And everyone says, well, I, I knew something, but I, but just to act on it is, is what we need people to do. You're not going to disrupt an entire family structure. If you just sound an alarm bell, when something looks off to you. That's great. That's advice. good to know. That's great for every person listening to Right. Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And thank you for being part of the National Exchange Club Network. Any final things that you'd like people to know about the work you do or the relationship with exchange or the value of a Center for the Prevention of Child Abuse? Sure. Well, it is my good fortune uh, to be part of it. I just would love to like scream from the mountaintops. There really is not a program that I am aware of. And I worked nationally that does home visitation birth to 17 that's free. It mm -hmm. is not heard of. And now we see there's so much need in that middle school lane and parenting those kids that if people really embrace that this exchange club model, when I talk about it, it's always like, what? You guys serve families birth to 17, home visitation for free. You leverage um, volunteers and a service organization. I mean, it is really a perfect model for engaging the community and meeting a need that without big government involvement, meaning we don't have to say no to a family just because they don't meet certain state board of ed requirements or state, mm -hmm. you know, department of human services requirements that we can open our doors and help anyone that has a child birth to 17 that wants this type of mentorship. It doesn't exist. We are the niche. It's, it's a huge gift. If people knew that, I think they would be clamoring to support what we're doing. Well, that's a great message. And thank you for helping us get that message out. You're absolutely right. We need centers like yours in communities across the country. Yep. I'm happy to do whatever you guys need. Uh, we appreciate you. And to our listeners, to learn more about the Exchange Club and getting involved in the great work that Peggy joined us to talk about, please visit nationalexchangeclub.org. Thank you, Peggy. And thank tremendous you. thanks for being part of the Exchange Network and for the worthwhile work you do every day. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you.